Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au. So good to gather together today to worship and to glorify King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There's a lot of people saying today that this Christmas just doesn't feel like Christmas. Uh, a lot of things happening around us and some truth to that. There is some truth to that. All the more reason why we need to gather. All the more reason why we need to come together as a church. Doesn't matter what's happening around us, we come together as the church and we declare the truths, the praises of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We come together to lift up the name of Jesus. We come together to be reminded of who it is that we serve and who it is that we worship. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you for your spirit and for your presence. We just invite you by the spirit of God to come into this place. Would you speak to us by your spirit, Lord God? We need you above all else, Lord God. We love you. You've done so much in our lives. And we thank you that there was a day some 2,000 years ago where you came in the person of Jesus Christ and you came to save, to set us free so that we could experience your love, your joy, your peace, so we could experience life, purpose, meaning, Father. And Father, we just want to say thank you. We just invite you today to come into this place and speak to our lives, Lord God. We just don't want to hear more information, Lord God. I pray that your word will become a revelation in our hearts, Lord God, that because of what happens here today, we would know you in a greater way, that we would know you in a deeper way. Lord God, that our eternities would be changed because of what happens here today. Holy Spirit, we need you. We invite you, Holy Spirit. There are people in this congregation that are hurting, Lord God. There are people in this congregation going through a really difficult time right now. They need a word from you, a touch from you. Holy Spirit, just come with your gifts. Come with your spirit. Come with your anointing, Lord God. And minister to each and every one of us, we pray. We bind every work of the enemy. We bind every distraction in the name of Jesus. We bind every thought that is not of you, every scheme of the enemy, preconceived ideas, ideas. We come against it in the name of Jesus. We pray, let there be freedom. Let there be the freedom of the Holy Ghost. Let there be faith in your people, a sense of expectation, Lord God, about what you're going to do in our hearts and lives. You're an amazing God. And we love you, Lord God. And we love to worship you. And we praise you and give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26, let's read from verse 1. It says, In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. Here it is, verse 3. And you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. So trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. Let's pray. Father, as we go into your word, we just thank you for um, the power of your word, that your word has the power to actually speak into our lives, a word that transforms us and changes us. I pray that that's what would happen today, that this would not just be more information, but that we would hear the word of God, we would hear your voice. Let there be nothing in me that hinders this word. Bind every spirit of fear and intimidation. Just let there be freedom here today to speak your word. Father, we want to hear a word from you. 
in the midst of all the words that are spoken. Father, send your word into our hearts, Lord God, a word that will transform our lives, our families, and above all else, our eternity, Lord God. We love you, Lord God, and we thank you and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I want to speak today on the subject, perfect peace. Uh, I want to speak on this subject because of the difficult season we're in, in the world, in our nation, and now in our city. We've kind of lived in a bubble here in Adelaide for a, for a long, long time, but it's finally kind of becoming real, even in our own city um, uh, at the moment. And I think uh, we would all agree that the world is anything but peaceful at the moment. So I think it's into this context that we should stop and actually talk about peace. You see, it's easy to have peace when things are going well, when there are no challenges. It's very easy to have peace, very easy to be happy. But what do you do when you're in a storm, when your world is upside down, and where there doesn't seem to be any stability? What do you do when things are not going the way you'd like them to go? How do you experience peace in that kind of context? Jesus said, peace I leave with you. He's speaking to his disciples. He's about to return to heaven. His disciples are distressed because Jesus is speaking about going. And this is what he says to them. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world does. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus is saying the peace I give you is different to the peace that the world gives. There's a peace that the world gives and there is a peace that God gives. The peace that the world gives is open to circumstances. We feel it when things are going well. It goes when things are not going well. Whereas the peace that Jesus brings is an incredible peace. It's the kind of peace we can experience even when we're going through a very challenging time. We live in a world where songs are written about peace, peace treaties are signed. We have the United Nations whose mission is to restore peace. We have Nobel Peace Prizes, but what we seem to be missing is peace. Now, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. Everybody say shalom. 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 I said a couple of weeks ago that the way Jewish people greet each other is with the word shalom. It's the same in our Italian congregation. You come to our Italian congregation, uh, and if you greet them with a good morning, you're going to get a dirty look. Uh, They'll say, well, good morning. It's pace. It's uh, peace. Everybody say pace. Yeah, you guys are Italian. Look at that. Amazing. Um, And in greeting with the the word uh, shalom in in, in the Jews, when, when they would greet each other with the word shalom, what they would be doing is praying a very small prayer. They would say, I pray that you would experience shalom. Now, peace is not a great translation for the word shalom. Shalom is much deeper and much more profound. Shalom is not just the absence of conflict. It's the presence of something. It's the presence of someone. It's the presence of the blessing and the favor of God. Shalom in a marriage is not just the absence of arguing. It's good if there's no arguing. It's the presence of love and friendship and romance. In a family, shalom is not just the absence of tension. It's the presence of love and harmony and laughter and banter and joy. And I believe what most of us want in life is peace, but not some superficial peace that's based on the circumstances that we're going through. What we're looking for is real peace, deep peace. One of the reasons why Jesus came some 2,000 years ago is so that we could experience shalom, real peace. 
Isaiah, in prophesying about the coming of Jesus, said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We sang about it this morning. One of the names of Jesus is Prince of, 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 of Peace. That is Prince of Shalom. In fact, all the names that are given to him describe something about his character. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He's an everlasting father, the Prince of Peace. And all of this brings us to ask one very simple question, which is, well, how can we experience Shalom? In a world that is full of turmoil, like we're living in right now, how can we experience Lasting peace. Well, to help us answer that question, we're going to look at a verse that comes out of Isaiah. Isaiah says, You will keep in perfect peace he whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Now, notice that Isaiah uses the word there, perfect peace. In the Hebrew, it's actually translated shalom, shalom. Those two words are actually both translated as peace. Or shalom. And whenever the Bible uh, repeats a word, it does it for emphasis. Uh, when the Bible says, you know, we can experience perfect peace, it means that we can experience complete, genuine, deep, and satisfying peace. In other words, it's given for emphasis. And, and, what, and what, uh, what Isaiah is saying is that we can have real and lasting peace. So, question, how can we experience real peace? And so there are two principles I want to pull out of uh, this particular couple of verses that I pray will speak to all of us here this morning. Above all else, remind us of who God is and what He wants to do in our lives. The first thing we need to do to experience perfect peace is we need to think right. We need to think right. The battle for peace is first and foremost a battle in the mind. The battle for peace is first, it's fought first and foremost in our minds. Isaiah says, you will keep in perfect peace, the emotion of peace, those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Now notice it says, those whose minds are steadfast. Now steadfast isn't one of those kind of words we use in our vocabulary, but it means to be fixed, to be glued, focused, disciplined. Um, the battle for peace is primarily fought in our minds. Now, in fact, the Greek word for anxiety means to divide and to separate. And what the enemy tries to do is divide us. In fact, wherever you see division, you see the work of the enemy. Wherever you see division, you will see the enemy doing his work. And what the enemy tries to do is rob our marriages of peace. How? By dividing us. Rob our families of peace. How? By dividing us. Rob our society of peace. How? By dividing us. And that's what's happening all around our, our, our world today. But above all else, what the enemy tries to do is divide us in our thinking. And that's what robs us of peace. I don't know what to do. Shall I go to the left or shall I go to the right? Shall I do this or shall I do that? I don't know what to do. I don't know which way I should go because each way seems to be the wrong way. And because of that, we experience anxiety and it robs us of peace. We're going to win the battle. It's not going to be because something changes in our environment around us. The first thing that needs to change is our thoughts. Often people say, well, if this would change in my life or if that would change in my life or if this other thing would change in my life, then I would experience peace. 
The reality is that's, that's a superficial kind of peace that's not going to last. Because as soon as your circumstances change again, then, then automatically you will experience stress and anxiety. What Isaiah is also saying in this verse is that there's a very clear link between how we think and feel. Let me, let me read the verse again for you. It says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast. That is, the feeling of peace is directly related to how we think. In other words, um, how we think has a very deep and profound uh, effect on uh, how we feel. And this is a really important principle to understand. You see, how we think influences how we feel. It influences um, how we behave, what we confess, what we speak about. If you're thinking negative uh, thoughts or depressing thoughts, do you think you're going to feel happy? Absolutely not. You're not going to be skipping around if you're thinking negative thoughts and, 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 and depressing kind of thoughts. If that's what you're thinking, automatically it's going to affect how you feel, how you feel about yourself and how you feel about that day. And as a result, it's actually going to uh, affect what you actually do and then, and then uh, it's going to affect what you actually confess and what you speak about. And it's this vicious cycle which in turn affects how you think and then, and then we, we go deeper and deeper into despair. Now, neuroscientists tell us we think about 70,000 thoughts a day. Well, I read that and I didn't really believe it. So last week I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to count my thoughts for a day. And you're not going to believe this, but there were exactly 70,000 thoughts that I thought, what's wrong with you? I counted them. It's outstanding. It's just incredible. <laughs> now, listen, we can either be a slave to our thoughts or we can tell our thoughts what to think. We can either be a slave to our thoughts, whatever our thoughts say is where we go, or we can tell our thoughts what to think. Paul also, in speaking about how to deal uh, with anxiety, says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think or meditate on such things. And then he says, and the peace of God shall be with you. I love that passage in, in, in Philippians. It talks about how to deal with anxiety. And the first thing it says, if you're anxious, pray. And it talks about four kinds of prayer. It doesn't matter how you pray, what kind of prayer you pray. Just pray. Why worry when you can pray? Is a good phrase. And then it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your hearts and also your mind in Christ Jesus. And then he says, if you want to deal with with anxiety, then think right. You have to change the way you think. And that's a lot easier said than done. Can I hear an amen somewhere? It's easy, it's easy to say, well, you've got you to control your thinking. But I don't know about you, but I find that very hard to do, especially when you're worrying about something. It, it, especially when you go to bed at night. Sometimes you've had a good day. Suddenly you go to bed at night and then, and then, and then the thoughts start. Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, and then my brain kicks into gear and, and then the rest is history. You don't change your thinking by trying to stop thinking. You change your thinking by replacing wrong thoughts with right thoughts. You, you, don't, you don't change your thinking by trying to stop certain thoughts. In fact, the more you try and stop certain thoughts, the bigger they're actually going to grow because you're focusing on them and you're giving them attention. The way you change your thinking is by replacing it with the right thoughts. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. Paul says, meditate on uh, uh, and think about things that are good and true and you will experience peace. 
the outworking of thinking certain types of thoughts is going to be peace. Worry is simply meditating on what is not good. That's what, that, that's what worry is. It's meditating, thinking about. And by the way, meditating is not, um, um, that's not meditating. When the Bible talks about meditating, it's the cow that chews the cud. I didn't know if you knew this, but cows, when they chew grass, you know, it goes into their gut and then they bring it up again and they chew it. Wouldn't that be nice if we could? No, don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about it. Sorry, 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 sorry. So the cows, they go, you know, it goes in, then they come back up, you know, and then they have lunch and then it goes back down and they have dinner, brings it back up again. And they, they're chewing it and, and they're chewing it. And, that, and that's what meditating is in Scripture. It's chewing over certain thoughts. And worry is simply meditating on things that are bad. We need to choose. Are we going to meditate on what the media is saying, what people are saying, what might be, what could be, who knows what might happen, or are we going to meditate on truth of God's word? Question is, how do we do that? Well, we need to replace our negative thoughts with truth. We need to start to tell ourselves, my God is good. But Pastor Joe, it doesn't feel like God is good right now. It doesn't matter. The truth is, our word says to us that God is a good God. And we begin to declare the truth. I thank you, God, that you're a good God. Now, sometimes we say it out of thanksgiving because he has been good. And by the way, and by the way, if we're living in Australia, we can all say that God has been a good God. Come on. He's been good to us. We are, the, we are so, 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 so blessed. We are so, so blessed. We've got, all of us have got something to praise God about. All of us have got something to thank God about. It doesn't matter how bad things are. We've all got something to worship God for. And there are times where we need to thank God for all the things that we do have. And there are some times where we thank God in faith. We say, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you're a good God. And I thank you that your goodness is going to flow in my life and through my life. Habakkuk. Said, he said, you know, though, though the fig tree does not blossom and there be no herd in the stalls and blah, 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 blah. Though everything goes, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I, I love the psalmist again and again. And, and, and the psalmist is writing the psalms and he says, I will worship the Lord. I will praise the Lord. I will magnify the Lord. I'm not going to be dominated by my thoughts. I'm not going to be dominated by my feelings. I'm going to be dominated by the truth of God's word. And, and I will choose to worship the Lord. And as we begin to worship, something changes. Something begins to shift in our hearts. Something begins to shift in our minds. I will worship the Lord. My God is a good God. His promises are true. His word never fails. When I'm lost, he's my guide. When I'm weak, he's my strength. When I'm hurting, he's my comforter. When I'm down, he's my joy. When I'm worried, he's my peace. Now, some people might say, Pastor Joe, Pastor Joe. Isn't that just positive thinking? You're just brainwashing yourself with positive thoughts. Well, first of all, the Bible is very positive. Can I hear an amen? amen. There's not a lot of negative in the Bible at all. In fact, in fact, the only people, ah, oh, it's full of rules. That's because you don't know the Bible or the spirit of the word of God. But if you knew who God was and you know the heart of God, the spirit of God, he's always good and he's, he's, he's only, he only wants good for your life and my life. And those so-called rules in the Bible are really principles to protect us so that we can experience life. The Bible is a very positive book, but more than just positive, it's the truth. You see, there's a very real difference between positive thinking and truth thinking. 
There's a very big difference. Positive thinking says, in, in, for me, positive thinking says, I'm going to grow more hair. Come on. Come on. And I can, I can get up every morning. I can go, today, today, today my hair's going to grow. I'm very positive. I can be as positive as I want about that. I can be very positive to some, I've got a great singing voice. I can be really positive about it. I'm positive I've got it. I can declare it. I can claim it. I can, I can blab it and grab it and do whatever I want with it. Nothing is going to change. Amen. I'm getting bolder and bolder every single day by the name of Jesus. Thanks, Dale. When our thinking aligns itself with truth, it becomes powerful. When our thinking aligns itself with truth, it becomes powerful. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't say, I'm one of the ways, I'm one of the truths, I'm one of the, the, the lives. Jesus didn't say, all the roads lead to Rome. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's a bold statement. And it's going to do one of two things. Either you grab it and embrace it, embrace the truth of it, or you're going to react to that. But either way, we're all going to respond to this. The greatest thing that we can do is embrace it because it's the truth. When we align our thoughts with God's truth, when we align our thinking when we align our stinking thinking with God's truth, then it changes how we feel and it changes what we do. It changes how we speak and it impacts our lives for good. A lot of people say, oh, I'm no good. I'm nothing. I can't. I'm, I'm just no good. I'm no good. I'm not good at anything. I can't do anything. When I read the word of God, the Bible says God created me. He created me. He created me for such a time as this. The Bible says in Psalm 139, he knit me together in my mother's womb. He was knitting me together and he's given me certain plans and, and, and certain gifts and certain passions and he's given me certain abilities and, and he has a plan and a purpose for my life, says Jeremiah 29, 11. And he's got good things in store for me. Ephesians 2, 10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us. To do now, listen. Either we're going to believe the lie that I'm good for nothing, or I'm going to believe the truth that God created me. And as we begin to believe that, as we begin to confess the truth, I thank you, God, that you created me. I thank you, God, that you've got a plan and a purpose for my life. I thank you that you've got good things in store for my life. As we begin to confess the truth, we step into whatever it is that God has for our lives, and that's the truth. Battle for peace begins in the mind. Second thing we need to do is experience, to experience perfect peace is trust God. Isaiah says, you're keeping perfect peace. He whose mind is steadfast or stayed on you because they trust in you. So trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. Now, the reason why we focus our thoughts on God is because we trust God. Trust involves giving up control. We trust God. In other words, the whole, the whole concept of salvation is about saying, you know what, I'm not going to be the driver anymore in my life. 
You're going to be the driver from now on, God. I just remember in Sunday school, when, when we were in Sunday school, they would do the salvation message. And I just remember that there was always a, a, a chair in the middle of, uh, of uh, the picture that they had. And it kind of represented, it was a representation of our hearts. And there's a chair in our hearts. And the question is, who's sitting in that chair? Like, who is the one controlling our lives? And, you know, the whole salvation message is about, well, who do you want to control your life? Do we want to sit in our chair and control? control our lives. And and salvation is about saying, you know what? I'm not going to sit in that chair anymore. I'm going to invite Jesus to sit in that chair and I'm going to ask him to control my life because I trust him. One of the biggest problems with us is we don't like to give up control to anyone. Can I hear an amen there? We, We love to be in control. How many control freaks do we have in this congregation right now? Come on, just confess. There's quite a few. It's a good time to nudge your person sitting next to you we live with what's called the illusion of control this cognitive bias that leads us to believe that we have control when we really don't have any control whatsoever in fact we're less in control of our lives than we think we are if there's one lesson that COVID has taught us it's how little control we actually have in life and how quickly our lives can be turned upside down by a bug I can't even see I can't even see it And yet it's real. The antidote to control is trust. It's beautiful. We kind of should sit there for a bit. The antidote to control is trust. I trust you. I trust God. Isaiah is saying if we want to experience peace, we need to learn to trust God. Now, for many people, the phrase trust God has just become a cliche. I just got to trust God. What are you going through? Oh, yeah, trust God. And it's a good thing, by the way. Not a bad thing to say at all. But our ability to trust God is dependent on our perspective of God. It's two words, trust God. Our ability to trust God is dependent on our perspective of God. If our perspective of God is that he is far away, like really far away, like he's not even interested in my life, well then how, why should I trust him? What's the point of trusting in a God who's living on another planet and is not even interested in my life? Or if God is angry with me, some people have this perception that God is angry with them. Well, why should I trust someone who's always angry with me, looking forward to to smash me on the head one day? Why should I trust that kind of God? Some people see God as a man with a big beard, old man with a big beard somewhere up there, a religious leader like all the others, a guru, a historical figure, a little baby in a manger. I love babies. Babies are cute. But you wouldn't trust them with your life. I trust you with my life, little baby. (laughs) Crazy. They trust you. You don't trust them. If we're going to trust God with our life, then we need to know who he is. If if we're going to trust God, we need to know who he is and believe that he has the ability to take care of us, to, to, to look after us, to guide us and to help us. We live in a world today where people's ideas of God is, com- is com- completely, uh, completely wrong. We live in a world that is anti-Christ, anti-God. Uh, you, you read the media or you listen to the media. They never present stories that, pres- that show the church or God or, or the Bible in, good, in a good view. They're always presenting that crazy dude somewhere, some, somewhere where, where they shut down the nation and this crazy dude says, we're going to go to church anyway. And I just think, you know, and they're the ones that are, that are promoted all over the world. 
People have all these crazy ideas about God. Our, our, our media doesn't speak favorably about God. Our universities don't speak favorably about God. Our, our, our science, they're always presenting God as just a fable. But we've got science. We've got evolution. I mean, we got, we're, we're teaching science. Not a lot of science in evolution, by the way. If you actually think about it, not a lot of science there at all. And yet it's presenting. And whether we like it or not, it's, it's, it's affected, it's infected all of us in one way or another, where our perception of God has changed in some way. Even for those of us that are veterans that have been in the house of God for many, many years, we hear the words, trust God. But, but what do I really believe about God? And just for the record, for those who are kind of maybe wondering, well, why do you believe in God? Well, well prove to me that God exists. Well, you need to come back at Easter and we'll prove that to you. But just let me give you a quick snapshot. The reason why we believe in God ultimately is Jesus Christ who came to earth and, and he lived amongst us. He died on a cross and three days later, he rose from the dead. And that's not just a fable. That's not just a story. That is actually historical fact. And if you will look up the facts, if you will read history, you will find that to be true and that's why we believe in God no one else has been able to do that show me someone else who's been able to do that and I'll consider believing in them no one else has been able to do that why should I believe something that is inferior why should I buy an inferior car when I can afford an even better car I don't understand there's no logic that to me that at all we believe in God because he's real and in order for us to trust God we need to know who he is Imagine you're not well and your GP recommends a surgeon. And when you go and see him, his office is in some dark alley. He's smoking like a chimney. <sighs> Blood all over his lab coat. Uh, degree on the wall looks photocopied. And he says, well, we'll give, a, we'll give it a shot. We'll, we'll do a surgery, but can't guarantee anything at all. I mean, are you going to trust him with your life? Come on. Are you going to trust him with your life? I don't think so. Imagine you'd see a lawyer. And you say, oh, I'd like to make an appointment to see the lawyer. And we say, well, can't, for Wednesday, well, I can't see you Wednesday. He gets out of jail on Wednesday. Uh, Thursday will be good. I mean, are you going to trust him? Her? Isaiah here is saying, one of the keys to perfect peace is trust. It's trust. And he's not saying trust religion or trust the church or trust the person. He's very specific about who we need to trust. He says, put the scripture up, trust in the Lord forever for the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. And notice the word Lord there is capitalized. Trust in the Lord forever. For the, we got it the first time. Why do we need it a second time? Okay, I got it the second time. Why do we need it a third time? Because Isaiah wants us to make sure that we know who it is that we're trusting. Whenever you see the, the word Lord capitalized, it's the name God gave himself. It's called Yahweh. And three times it's used in this verse. My prayer for you this Christmas, for all of us this Christmas, is that we would get a revelation of Yahweh, of who God really is, of who Jesus is. Really. Because when you get a revelation of who he is, your life will never be the same again. He's not just some baby in a manger. He's not just a good teacher. He was a great teacher, but that's not all he was. He wasn't just a historical figure, religious figure. He is God. He is Yahweh. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is almighty God. He is all-powerful. He's our protector. He can make a way where there doesn't seem to be one. He can do great and mighty things. He can open doors. 
And Isaiah is saying, what's going to help you have peace is a revelation of God. Just understand who God is. You're not going to experience peace unless you understand who God is. Let me tell you, he is He's Yahweh. He is Yahweh. He is Yahweh. And, and he says it three times. And then he says, he is the rock eternal. Just in case you still missed it. And by the way, rock eternal there means he's like as rock. He is like as rock. He doesn't move very easily. Uh, as rock, we just want you to move about two meters over. Is that going to be possible? Yeah, sure. Jack it up to the ute. You know, we're just going to pull it. He doesn't move. He doesn't change. He's dependable. He's steadfast. It doesn't matter what people think of him. I don't like you, Ezrock. Does it change, Ezrock? Does, does, does Ezrock, oh, they don't like me. Oh, does, does Ezrock kind of change? No. It doesn't matter whether people believe he exists or not. Does Ezrock go, oh, I don't even believe Ezrock exists. Does that change Ezrock at all? It's God. He's the rock eternal. Come on, church. He is the rock eternal. He is the rock eternal. He's not some pebble in your shoe. He is like as rock. And he's the same yesterday. And he's the same today. And he shall be forevermore. I wonder, I just wonder, do you really know who God is? Because my prayer for you this Christmas is that you would get a revelation of who Jesus really is. So the question is, what is God really like? What is God really, really like? In the words of Dr. S.M. Lockridge, a powerful African-American preacher, some of you have heard this, notice how he described God. He said he's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. And he's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. David said the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. There are no means of measure that can define His limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of His shoreless supplies. No barriers can hinder Him from pouring out His blessing. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. He's God's Son. He's the sinner's saviour. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. Come on, church. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tribe. He sympathizes and he saves. He's strong and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. And He regards the age. He regards the diligent. And He beautifies the meek. I wonder, do you know Him? Come on, I wonder, do you know Him? Stand with me. Come on, stand with me. He's the King of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes, the leader of the legislators, overseer of the overcomers, governor of the governors, prince of princes. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. His office is manifold. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. I'm running out of breath. His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. Dr. S. Eck Lockridge says, Well, I wish I could describe him to you. 
but he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He is irresistible. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Isaiah is not saying trust in a man. Isaiah is not saying, listen, trust in a man. Isaiah is not saying trust in religion. He's not saying trust the church. He's saying put your trust in Yahweh. Put your trust in God. I don't know what perception you have of God. But Isaiah is going to great lengths here to describe to us who this God is. He's going to great lengths to explain to us this God. I mean, if you could know this God, your life would never be the same again. And you would experience something called peace. When you get a revelation of who God is and you choose to trust Him, you can be in the worst kind of storm and you will experience perfect peace. I wish, I, I, you know, one of the greatest frustrations as a pastor is is I, I wish you could meet the Jesus that I know. I wish you could spend one hour with the Jesus that I know. I know you've got all these, some people have got all these preconceived ideas about Him, but I just wish you could spend a half an hour with Him, the, the, the Jesus that I know, because you will never be the same again. You will never be the same again. Isaiah says, you will keep in perfect peace. Those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. So trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord Himself is the rock eternal. How do we experience perfect peace? Two things. Think right. Just challenge those thoughts. No, I'm not going to keep thinking like that. We take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ, says Paul to the Corinthians. I'm not sure we'll ever experience peace in the world, but I know we can experience peace in our hearts. And Jesus came some 2,000 years ago to help us experience. Is there something that is robbing you of peace today? Is there something that is robbing you of peace? Is, some, is there something that's robbing you of peace in your marriage, in your home, in your family, in your heart above all else? Jesus wants to give us peace. It was World War I in 1914 and the war was raging between the Allied forces and Germany. Late on Christmas Eve 1914, men of the British Expeditionary Force heard German troops in the trenches opposite them singing carols and saw lanterns, small fir trees along their trenches. Messages began to be shouted between the trenches. The following day, British and German soldiers met in no man's land and exchanged gifts, took photographs, and some played an impromptu game of football. What is it that brought these warring sides together? What, what is it that brought, what is it that stopped a world war? What is it? It was Christmas. A little baby born in an insignificant manger, in an insignificant stable, in an insignificant town. And yet, he stopped the war. This little baby became a man that changed the world. And today he still has the power to stop wars, to bring peace in marriages, families, but most of all, in people's hearts. Because when there's peace in our heart, there is peace in our home and there is peace in our nation.
not just for Christmas Day. You know, I love it, Christmas Day, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of preparation. Everybody be good. Let's be good to each other. Everybody smile. Okay, nobody arguing today. Let's take the Instagram photos. Everybody smiling. Beautiful. We'll start. We'll go back to fighting. We'll go back to the trenches tomorrow. Boxing Day. It's, God, it's called Boxing Day. Come on. But today, let's all smile and be, be, show that we love each other. If we accept the Prince of Peace, we can experience peace every single day. We can experience shalom in our hearts and in our lives. Question is this, how do we experience the peace of God? We can experience the God, but first we need to experience peace with God. How do you do that? Well, we, we just need to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. You know, God loves you. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. When He created you, He said, I'm going to put you on earth because I've got a plan for your life. i got something I want to do with you. He's given you certain abilities, talents, IQ, passions. He's given that to you to be able to serve His purposes. And when your life aligns with His, you will experience life. Pastor Joe, how do I do that? Where do I start? All you need to do is just pray a simple prayer, inviting Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Saviour. Say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Be the Lord and Saviour of my life. When you do that, you will experience the miracle of salvation. So many of us have. Man, I wish we had time. We would come up and, and you would hear stories of people whose life, my life was a wreck, it was a disaster. And then one day I just, made a decision to give my life to Jesus. Never been the same again. I don't know what I was thinking before. I don't know why, what I was thinking. I wished I'd done this earlier. It's the power of salvation. Let me finish with a blessing over each family and individual represented here today. It comes from the words of Paul to the Roman church who said, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May you have a blessed and glorious day today. God bless you. Don't forget tomorrow morning, Boxing Day service. We'll see you then. God bless you.